My hope today is when you leave here today that you will be the you that you're supposed to be. That you will be the you that God created you to be. Not the you that God created someone else to be. We live in a world where we constantly compare ourselves. We try to live up to other people's standards. We, we live in such a way that our lives are revolving journey of trying to follow someone else, be like someone else, so that we can get their accolades. My hope is this today, that somehow there will be, be a light switch that will click on in your heart, your mind today, that says, I'm going to be the me that God created me to be. I'm also going to give you permission to be the you that you're supposed to be and become that you right now. What would happen if we truly lived the life that God wanted us to be? What would happen if we decided that we would be me instead of trying to be another me? What, what would happen if you were the you that you were created to be? We're constantly bombarded with ways that we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be. We have children growing up around us who want to be like someone else, be like this, be like that. They wear their jerseys, they wear their hats, they dress like them, they listen to their music, and they say, I want to be like that. I want to be like her. I want to be like him. I want to be like them. What would happen if we just decided to be the you that God created you to be and to celebrate our unique differences, the distinctiveness of us, and we became the person that God wanted us to be? How many times have you tried to be another you? How much pressure do you feel to be another you? A while back, when I was a lot younger, one of the stars of our time in the the athletic arena was a person who could do something pretty well. And everyone wanted to be like this person. In fact, our TVs were flooded with commercials that would say this, Be like Mike. Watch this. Now here's me Got to see that's how I dream to be It's a blast from the past, isn't it? Remember those days of watch out, everyone wanted to be like Mike because Mike could do what he was supposed to be pretty well. And so we'd get out in our driveways and we would, uh, young men would grow up and young ladies who were basketball players would get out and try to be like Mike. And so our TVs were flooded with be like Mike. What would happen, however, if we just were decided Today, tomorrow, the rest of our lives, we're going to be the you that God created us to be. That we weren't trying to be someone else. We would just be me. And we would find out what that is, and we would do it well. And we would do it to the capacity and the redemptive potential that Christ created us to be. Today, 
we're going to give you that chance. And we're going to find a person who really, really, really struggled with being the person that God had created them to be. And then something happens in your life when you try to be someone else. Grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up in the main or length. And our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 today. For Samuel 18, verses 1 through 14. Stand with me and we'll read it together. First Samuel 18, <laughs> verses 1 through 14. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept him, David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whenever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him and they were credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. You have a seat. It is obvious that David is being successful. It is obvious that there's this time in his life that he comes on the scene after he had just killed Goliath. After he had done this amazing feat, he now, Saul witnesses that, hears about it, and says, I want him to be part of my team. And so, but something happens in Saul's life in this narrative that can happen to you. It might be happening to you right now. And so let's start with this statement. There will always be someone better than you. There will always be someone who can do it better, who's done it better, and if they're not doing it better now, they'll do it better later. There will always be someone better than you. When we live that way with that reality, we recognize that that there will be someone better than us. We aren't threatened by them. Now, I'm not going to try to dismiss responsibility you have to live to the potential that God's created you. You're not going to walk away and today say, well, I can just kind of coast because they're always going to be better than me. The reality is maybe you were supposed to be better than them, but you didn't live up to your redemptive potential. But there's always someone better than that person over here than you. 
David steps on the scene out of nowhere. Now think about this. He had just killed Goliath. This is pretty significant. He killed the town bully that kept everyone hiding in their basements. Day after day, Goliath came out and he talked and he talked and he talked and people ran and they ran and they ran. They were afraid of this huge giant. But now David comes out of the the, the pasture, walks onto the scene, grabs five smooth stones, and he slays this giant. So he goes from a shepherd boy, from a no-name to a name that was trending on Twitter immediately. Out of nowhere, David's name was trending on Twitter. He had just killed Goliath. In fact, he did did it his own way too. Think for a moment over some of the details of the battle. In fact, go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at the end. He, he, he just killed or getting ready to kill David. He's, he's the guy that comes out and Saul says, I'm going to give you a chance. And so out of nowhere, David steps on the scene because he's irritated that someone would mock his God. It says this then in chapter 17 and verse 37. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Right now, Saul is on David's side. In fact, he says, hey, go and let the Lord be with you. Look what happens next. Then Saul dressed David in his what? Own tunic. Own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and was with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So we know from this account that he went in his own clothing. He went in his own way. He was comfortable with his living, always comfortable in his own skin. Saul thought that somehow if he did it Saul's way, boy, this happens often in families. We raise up children and we think, this is the way you're supposed to go. And yes, we are supposed to show them the way. But sometimes it gets twisted. Sometimes it gets turned. Sometimes it gets our way that we we want them to because we want to vicariously live through them. But Saul is saying this. Saul is saying, now listen, I want you to do it my way. So put on this clothing, put on this armor, put on this sword. So David literally tries this stuff on. And ultimately, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit him. He's not comfortable in it. He says, I don't need this to battle against the enemy. I'm not going to trust in your accomplishments and your achievements and and in your tunic and in your armor. I'm going to walk in the power of God. Even Saul was impressed with what David did during this time, which says a lot for a king. And think about this for a second, how uncomfortable we can get when, when we look at someone else and we see their accomplishments and it's somehow we feel threatened by that. I mean, just, just think, think in a practical way, how difficult it is for ladies and women in this room and in the link and across the world watching on the internet. How difficult it is for you when you, you see this outfit that you really like or this set of boots or shoes that you really like or this dress for this formal occasion. 
and you're excited about it. You're with your man, you're with your husband, and, and you're, you're out on this date, and, you know, you've looked in the mirror, and you primped, and it took you hours to get ready. It's like this dress just, just, just does what you want it to do, whatever that is. It does whatever you want it to do. And so you walk into this outing, this, this place, this, this place where other people gather, and you're so excited about, you know, you and how you look. And then you walk in this room and someone else has got your outfit on. It's like, how do you feel about yourself then? Like, I can't believe this. Like, you look at your husband, we're out, we're out of here, we just got here. Well, someone else has got my boots and they got my dress. And all of a sudden, it's like, you can't handle that. The you that you want to be is the you over there. But guys are completely different than this. It's like, we see someone that's like wearing our shirt or wearing shoes or boots like us. We slap them in the butt and we're best friends forever. It's like, we don't care. In fact, I came in to the service this morning early. And I don't know if you noticed, but uh, a guy on our worship team here in, in the main, Ryan, who's close friend, he's wearing the same shirt I'm wearing. Check it out. Check it out. Take a look. Let's see Ryan. Come on. Let's see Ryan. Look at it. I just want to tell Ryan, but we're going to be best friends forever. I don't have any problem with that. I say, that dude's got good taste. It's interesting. <laughs> it's true, though. It's interesting how we're wired. Man, you want to throw that dress away, throw out those shoes, get rid of that, and your husband's like, I paid good money, but I don't care. She's got it, too. We are always comparing ourselves to other people. And when you do, Oh, your life can turn in a different direction. And if you're trying to live up to someone else's standard instead of the standards that God has set you to live up to and the person that God wants you to be, you'll end up falling short of that. Saul sees David and recognizes this amazing feat that had just taken place. And so he watched him kill Goliath. Now, Look at the end of that account in chapter 17. Look at verses, let's run to the end of this account. Chapter 17 and verse 55. Chapter 17 and verse 55 says this. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young what? Now, let me give you a little background here. In the Old Testament, if your son accomplished something in your family, you did something significant in your family, the king or the leader would want to find out who the daddy was so that the daddy could, could receive something, favor from the king. And so if your son accomplished something, not only was it good for the son, but it was good for the family. So Saul's want to know, where did this guy come from? Why haven't I seen him? How come he hasn't been serving me? How, where did that courage come from? A guy that would walk out not even in my own clothing would come out with a slingshot and five stones. Whose son is this? Look on, look how many times he asked this. Abner replied in verse 55, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. Like, he just kind of showed up out of the, the, the pasture. And the king said, find out whose what? Son, this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. Now, now look, look, look what he does. With David still holding the Philistines, what? And then he says to him while he's there holding this humongous head, 
He says, whose son are you, young man? David said, I, now look how he responds. I am the what? Of your what? Jesse of Bethlehem. Now, you might have just glossed over that when you've looked at this account before, but it's important how he responds here. He doesn't say, I am the son of Jesse. He doesn't say, hey, hey, we're pretty important. He says, I am the son of Jesse, your what? Servant. He honors the king by saying, hey, not only am I here to serve you, but my daddy serves you too. So he didn't like walk on the scenes, hey, here I am, here's the head. I mean, it's like a scene out of Gladiator. Can you imagine how big a head was? I mean, you carried the head of this, this mammoth giant, and he was standing there. He says, whose son are you? Um, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse. And so Saul looks at him. He could have paused there and said, man, what a humble spirit that this guy has. David responded very humbly here. He didn't try to push authority. He didn't try to push position. He knew his position and he knew who he was. And he was comfortable with being the son of Jesse, the servant of Saul. Even from that stage, you can see he was comfortable being with the place that God had placed him, the the position, the power. He was comfortable and he was doing it to the very max capacity in that position that he was in. He knew he had the ear of the king too because Jonathan gives him his royal robe. Jonathan gives him his bow. Jonathan gives him his sword. And so now David goes from shepherd boy to giant slayer, to living in the king's palace. In a matter of a day, he changed his shepherd boy robe to a royal clothing that was made for a king. Now, keep in mind here, this is really starting out good. I mean, for both. David, he no longer has to sleep out under the stars. He's living in the palace. Saul now has this warrior that's part of his team that can slay giants. Saul is propped up. David's doing pretty good. I mean, think about it for him. The night before, he was grilling hot dogs and spam. Now he's eating filet mignon. He moves up quickly because he was serving God, and he still knew his position in life. He didn't flaunt that he had killed Goliath. Saul doesn't see him as a threat right now but as a teammate who can make his kingdom stronger. You see, when our identity is found in Jesus, we're not threatened by someone who can do it better than us. But if your identity is not in Jesus Christ, and it's somehow in your accomplishments, you are threatened when someone does it better than you. In fact, the you that you want to be isn't the you that you you can be because you want to be like them. And when you try to be like them, you forget what you're supposed to be like and you lose, 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 lose. But the moment you begin to think, I'm going to be the you that I was created to be, God lifts you up, God resources that, God God mobilizes that and you become who you were supposed to be. Now, a little background here too, which I think is very important about Saul. Saul wasn't a wimp by any chance. This was a studly dude. And so there should be never any reason at all that he was ever threatened by anybody. In fact, turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Keep your finger here and turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul was an impressive man. 
And Scripture literally says it that way. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. It says, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Bacharoth, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. He had a son named whom? And he was what kind of young man? Without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than, taller than any others. Translations have, he was an impressive young man without equal. There was none like him. One translation said he was a most handsome young man. In fact, one translation says there was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the rest. Now, this was a pretty prominent man who stood out heads and shoulder. He was finer. He was better looking. He was studlier. He was impressive. He had no reason at all, seriously, in the standard of the world's eyes to ever be threatened by another one. Besides, he was the king. David was a shepherd boy. He shouldn't be threatened at all by anybody. Yet something takes place. It's interesting when I think about Saul. He was a head taller than the other man. He was an impressive young dude. I mean, in other words, he dated the cheerleader and the prom queen, and he married Miss Congeniality. He was what every man would want to be. He had punched his man card, and now he is the king. But something changed for Saul on the home front. Look at chapter 18 and verse 4. Look at the change that takes place. Or verse 5. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it. So what? What's it say? Successfully. That Saul gave him a high rank in the army. Now, now look at this tag here. Don't overlook this because this is significant. This is where this whole account in the life of Saul takes a turn. It says, this please all the what? And Saul's officers as well. That little tagline that the author of this book tags on is the tagline that changes the direction of Saul's life. It says, not only was he successful, but all the people and all the officials and servants of Saul noticed it. Uh Uh-oh. Hey, did you hear about David? Boy, he's pretty impressive when he goes to battle. David can do this and 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 this. And it pleased all the people. It pleased all the servants and all the officials that were out there. You would think that this would impress Saul, yet it doesn't. Because watch what happens next. Look at verse 6. When the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistine, the what came out? Who came out? Women came out from all the towns. I mean, they came from Meadowbury, New Paris. They came from Elkhart. They came from Wakarusa. They came from Concord. They came, they, I mean, they even came from Lake LaGrange County. And it says this, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with, what, what were they doing? Singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. They were singing songs, but Saul wasn't okay with this because 
What they once sang was, Saul, Saul, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. And their tune changes from that to, oh, David, he's so fine. He's so fine. He blew my mind. Hey, David. Hey, David. They didn't like that. That's funny, by the way. (laughs) Saul didn't know how to handle that. It's like they were singing one rap around him, and now he's so fine, he's so fine, he blow my mind. Hey, David, hey, David. He couldn't handle that. And all of a sudden, there's this streak of envy and jealousy that begins to surface on the scene. Not purposeful by David. David was just living up to his potential. He was just serving his king. Yet Saul begins to get envious of David. It's interesting how this narrative changes here. All these ladies come out, you know, Saul liked that first line. The moment we begin to feel a surge of jealousy or envy because of someone else's success, there is an obvious identity issue that we have with ourselves. Now, Think about that statement for a second. I'll repeat it. The moment we begin to feel a surge of jealousy or envy because of someone else's success, there is an obvious identity issue that we have with ourselves. Stop and think for a second and consider all the ways it plays out in our lives when we are threatened by a local business, a competitor, someone's power or privileges. Think about how that plays out. We try to find ways to be like them. We can't, if we can't be like them, we try to knock them off with our words or our actions. If you're insecure, that's what you do. We try to find ways that, that will help lift us up and push them down. Uh, listen, this has happened from the beginning. You know why Lucifer fell in heaven? Because he had pride and jealousy. He wanted to be not like Mike. He wanted to be like God. And he fell from heaven because he couldn't handle the position that he was given. And he wanted to be and have the power and authority like God had. Please listen to me. This is, this is so very important when it comes to relationships. Siblings that are here today, brothers and sisters, you do not have to be like your older brother, younger brother. Younger sister, you don't have to be like your older sister. Younger sister, you don't have to be like your older brother. Younger brother, you don't have to be like your older sister. If they were the A student and you're the B plus, that's perfectly fine. As long as you have identity in Christ and you're reaching your full potential and you're doing all you can, that's who God has created you to be. We try to find ways, though, to be like them. You see, the Bible says it this way for all of us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by a perfect God. You see, here's what God did for you and me. He chose your race. He chose your skin color. He chose your hair, in some cases, well, lots of, your lack of hair. He chose every detail of your body. He built you to be really good at some, some things. In other words, you have skills, abilities, personality traits that are unique to you so that you can be the you that you're created to be and not the you that someone else was created to be. Can we just start celebrating that? Instead of coveting someone else's identity, can we just say, 
I wasn't made to sing. I wasn't made to be a welder. I wasn't made to do numbers. I wasn't made to, to be an artist. I wasn't made to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't made to be a coach. I wasn't made to be a preacher. I wasn't made, but doggone it, I was made to be this, and I'm going to do it well. And let's, let's be okay with that. You see, the minute you want to be someone else, you don't have chance to be the you that you're supposed to be. And all through our world, especially in Christian circles, are all these people who become jealous and envious of these accomplishments of other people that they set aside the gifts and skills and abilities that they're supposed to be using and becoming. And what happens, the Word of God says in Matthew 25, when you choose not to use the gifts and talents and skills and abilities that God has given you, you lose them. And so you end up not gaining any ground. And all you do is, is try to chase down another man or another woman's dreams and try to become them. And you can't become them. And there's no way you can become this anymore because you had given up your gift and you know what, gifts and you're no longer where God wants you to be. Let me remind you who you are. Turn to Psalm 139. Keep your finger here and turn to Psalm 139. Every once in a while, we need to be reminded of who we are. Look at Psalm 139. Look at verse 14 of Psalm 139. We gloss over this passage frequently. Now, the author of this psalm, not all the psalms, but this psalm here is David. This is the same David that's serving with Saul. This is the same David that killed Goliath. This is the same David that you're going to see whose life takes a turn that's different than what it was at the beginning of this account. This same David wrote this. Now listen, he wrote this. And not only did he write it, he lived it out because he knew who he was. Look what he says to us today in Psalm 139 and verse 14. David says this, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Look at that last tag. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do you? Do you know that full well? Do, do you really believe that? When you woke up this morning and you went to the bathroom and you stood in front of the mirror and you say, <laughs> Woo, I know that full well. Did you? Did, did, did you call your husband into, in, in, into the bathroom this morning and say, Hey, baby, come here a second. In case you forgot. This is Mrs. Wonderful. Seriously, that's what it says. Men, when, men don't struggle as much as this. And when you went, went to the mirror, and you went, and you said, here is Mr. Wonderful. When's the last time you actually articulated, world, here I am. What's your name? Mr. Wonderful. Ladies, what if you told your man, when he walked into the home that, hey, I read Psalm 139 today, verse 14. Hey, baby, hey, come here, I'm going to tell you something. This is what I think about you. You are Mr. Wonderful. He'd probably pass out, hit his head, and rush into the emergency room. Seriously, I didn't say that. And Scripture says, look, 
I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Human beings are wonderful. And so listen, go to that mirror tomorrow morning. Wake up. Have hair, bad hair day, bad breath, and say, world, here's Mr. Wonderful. What if we really believe that? David said, I know that full well. That's why he could walk out on the battlefield with a slingshot, five stones, and look at his enemy and say, I know that full well. My identity is in God, not in these stones or this battle, this accomplishment. I know who I am and I'm going to be the me I'm supposed to be. You see, you're not some freak of nature. You're not an accident that happened between your mother and father or the father that you don't know. You weren't unplanned by God. Before you breathed your first breath, and after God saw you and before he created you, when he finished that wonderful created being, he smiled and said, it's good. It's really, really, really good. In fact, it's Wonderful. And when he saw you before the foundation of the world, he doesn't expect anything less than for you to charge the gates of hell with this created, skilled ability, no matter what it is, and make a difference in our world and be a planet shaker for Jesus. Listen, you will never be a planet shaker for Jesus until you know who you are in Jesus Christ. You see, the creator didn't create any garage cell worthy people. He created limited edition people. We need to start seeing ourselves the way the creator God sees us. By the way, if Saul had known this to be true, this story would have taken a whole different twist here. You see, Christ followers who are comfortable with their identity in Jesus are not a bit bothered that someone can do something better than them or even different than them. They don't try to wear someone else's clothes or labels. They make it their own way. They make a name for themselves, the name that was planted in them, the DNA that was planted in them, the skills, the talents, the abilities that were created in them from the foundation of the world. And when God created them, he said, here's a wonderful, fearful, beautiful work of God. Now go be that person. Yet envy will halt any forward movement in your life. And Saul is about to have some envy. Watch how his life changes and this account changes. Look for Samuel chapter 18 again. Look at verse 8. Saul was very, what? Angry. It says, this refrain or this song. Oh, David, he's so fine. He's so fine. He blew my mind. Hey, David. Gold him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? 
And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Isn't it interesting how he was a servant and he was accomplishing great things, which if he knew who he was, it made him look good too because he had a great teammate. He had someone beside him that believed in his mission, believed in the God that he believed in, believed that together they could advance the kingdom of God in Israel. I mean, if he just set aside his own need to to lift himself up, this story could have changed. And I'm convinced Saul could have served a longer time as king. The text says this refrain galled him. The word galled means vexed him, chafed him irritated him, rubbed him wrong. In other words, when he took his morning jog on the palace track in the morning, he didn't play the David song on iTunes. He didn't do it. In fact, what greatly disturbed him was that David could do it so well and the people were singing about David. In fact, I can guarantee you this, he was, had such a jealous spirit. The text says he had a jealous eye that he had such a jealous eye, he told his servants to quit telling the David and Goliath story to his kids at bedtime. The text says that Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Have you ever had a jealous eye? Have have, have you ever had a jealous eye? Uh, Or should I say, do you have a jealous eye? Is there someone in your field Is there this man or woman or brother or sister or coach or business or church or pastor that when you look at them, ooh, jealous eye? Let me tell you something. A jealous eye will cloud the vision of a man or woman of God. Saul has a jealous eye. I watch it unfold a lot in marriages. A wife or husband gets a jealous eye of their spouse. They can't handle that somehow that God has elevated them wherever they're at. Maybe it's the woman, maybe it's the man. But even in the case, if if it's the husband, there's this jealous eye, this competitive spirit instead of saying, we're one. And what you accomplish, we accomplish. And what you do, we do. Instead of saying, how come I don't get the chance? How come he gets to do this all the time? How come he? How come she? How come he? How come she? Listen, ladies, if you begin to have a jealous eye of of your man and your husband, let me tell you, you will tear apart that relationship. Why don't we just celebrate it and thank the Lord for it? Ladies, remember this when it comes to marriage, by the way. What is his is yours and what yours is yours. So, if God's blessing him somehow in the marketplace or whatever he's doing, don't, don't be upset by that. Just celebrate. Hey, baby, I'm going out and get another massage. I mean, just, just enjoy it. Why shut it down? It's for both of you. But Saul could not handle that David was getting sung, sung about him. In fact, he couldn't handle it. In fact, Look what it says. Look what he does now. 
Verse 10 says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcibly upon Saul. He was prophesying his house where David was playing the harp, as he usually did. David had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it. This is while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. They won't sing, oh, David, he's so fine, he's so fine, I blew on my head. But David eluded him twice. Saul wanted to kill him. How did that happen so quickly? It's like, when I look at this text, I'm thinking, wait a minute. You just hired probably the best general of of army battles that you've ever had. He was winning the battles for God and for you. I mean, think about it. This is the best employee available to you. Why in the world would you want to kill him? Seriously, he was the greatest protector of the kingdom that Saul had ever had. I mean, he was the salesman who was helping his company become a Fortune 500 company. He put the company on the map. Why would you want to kill your best employee? Why would you want to kill your best mechanic, your best school teacher, your best welder, your best mom, your best artist, your best husband, your best wife, your best pastor, your best church, your best musician? You fill in the blank. Why would you want to kill the best if they were part of your team and they were helping you succeed for God? Because of that thing called the jealous eye. You see, when you're looking over here, you can't look at God. And when our eyes are taken off of God, they're placed on someone else, and eventually they're placed on us. We need to get rid of the jealous eye and say, in Christ, I am wonderful. And so all across Christianity, and potentially you, struggle with jealousy because of another person's accomplishments. Because the attention somehow is leaving Saul. He can't handle that. You see, the minute you begin to seek the favor and attention of a man only and not seek the favor and attention of God only, you will become very insecure. Saul, a head taller than anyone else, impressive, head and shoulders above the best. And for that matter, now stop thinking, he's the king of Israel. It's like, I'm the king, dude. Why did he forget that he was the king? He had the position that was envious, that everyone was envious of. What he said people were supposed to do. Now he's lusting after David's accolades. You know, I scratch my head when I think about this. I want to say, Saul, he's your teammate. So what he does is good for your kingdom. Someone needed to grab Saul during this time, one of his servants, and just say, come on, Saul, let's take a walk. And walk him around the palace and say, hey, see that? Hey, see those chariots? Hey, see those thousand acres? Hey, let me show you something. See all those people out there plowing in the field and working? Hey, 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 let me open up the freezer. See all that filet mignon? Hey, hey, take a look. Hey, let's walk into the throne room. See those 400-inch screen TVs? Hey, come here. Let, hey, hey, see those servants that are ready to fan you? Yeah, I see them, I see them. Guess whose those are? They're yours. Someone need to, to, to say, Saul, you got it, man. You're on top. You got a great servant. You're the king. What's wrong with that? Yet Saul could not see all that God wanted him to do or all that God wanted him to be because he was lusting over the accomplishments of another man. 
By the way, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens in marriages too. Yet 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love does not envy. You see, when a husband or wife doesn't feel good about themselves, it's hard for them to let themselves feel good about their husbands and, for let, and let their husbands or wives feel good about themselves. It's like, I don't feel good about me, so there's no way you're going to feel good about you. Envy destroys. Envy divides. Envy separates. And marriages are loaded with that. It's like, I don't feel good about myself, and I don't, I don't feel good about me. Listen, just because you don't feel good about you doesn't mean you need to make him or her not feel good about themselves. And so we do. We just we start making them feel bad about them. And the world is littered with insecure Christians, just like Saul is here. Lusting after someone else's accomplishments instead of achieving and, and attempting and completing the accomplishments that God wants them to accomplish. So instead of becoming the person God wants you to become, you try to become this person that you were never made to become. I see it happen in family. I see fathers trying to make their boys trying to become what they think they should become because they were never that person. And so if I doggone it, I'm going to make sure he is. I was recently at a basketball game. doesn't matter who it was. And two fathers were in the stands watching this basketball game, this high school basketball game. And during the game, at the end of this game, just recently, the police had to go up in the stands because these two fathers were getting at each other. And word has it that they were getting over it because of playing time that their sons had. Do you have a jealous eye? Can... Can you look down the street at other business and feel really good about it? Or are you insecure and don't know who you are in Jesus Christ? You see, we start throwing dirt to feel better about ourselves and our below par performance instead of living up to our redemptive potential and finding our own path that God has set out for us and making a mark for Jesus Christ with the talents that he has so graciously endowed upon us. By the way, when you have a jealous eye and you try to tear someone else down, that's just plain pathetic. Meanwhile, the landscape is littered with Christians who are making zero forward progress, and Saul, all of a sudden, his progress is going to halt right here. You see, when you begin to throw dirt on other people because of your insecurity, you lose ground. So when you throw dirt from your path, you got to dig a hole to get the dirt. And when you throw dirt somewhere else, you lose ground. And so we have all these Christians, all these supposed redeemed followers of, of Christ that they're jealous. They got the jealous eye. They're envious. They're not trying to be the you that they should be. They're trying to be another person. And because that person's successful and they're jealous of it, they don't want that person. And so they start throwing dirt. And when you keep throwing dirt, you just keep digging your grave. Before you know it, you're six feet under and you are propping them up. 
Do you throw dirt? Did you throw some this week? Did you, in the workplace, say something about your boss, your coach, your church, your pastor, so that you could feel better about yourself? Saul is about to lose ground. Saul is about to lose significant ground. Just a little side note here. The only way you'll ever live out your dreams and accomplish what God wants you to do is if you're connected to him and not trying to live out someone else's dreams. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor of Grace Community Church that I got the jealous eye from another brother. And I I work really hard at trying to to help men and leaders through that. I can't tell you how many times people have looked down the street and lusting after County Road 36 and 21. And my response often is this. How do you have time thinking about our ministry? I don't have time thinking about anybody else's ministry. I'm just, I'm, I'm in a whirlwind here. The minute you start thinking about someone else's ministry, listen to me, you can't serve your ministry well. It's the same for your marriages. It's the same for your businesses. It's the same for what you're supposed to accomplish. We spend too much time with our shovels digging up dirt and throwing it and losing ground instead of building our dreams on the ground that God has given us. Live your life, not someone else's life. We live in a world that says we should dress, talk, and live in a certain way. Yet, what might happen if we as Christ followers became the best cheerleaders of everyone that was walking in the kingdom with Jesus Christ? What would happen if we just cheered people on instead of having the jealous eye? What would happen if we just said, man, praise God for that talent. That just rocks. Sing it again. Build me another one. Hit another shot. Spike another ball. Run another mile. Wow, they ran that. I long to see the day where churches truly celebrate what God has done regardless of size. I long to see the day where we rejoice with those that find themselves in a season of blessing from God that aren't connected to us, and we just celebrate it. I long to see the day where we see individuals that have made it to the top five in their fields, and it's the same field we're in, and we just celebrate with them, and we eat their steaks. See, I don't understand, be honest with you, Why wouldn't we? I'm not supposed to live their life. Think about this for a second. That's not my life. I'm happy for you. Go live it. This is my life. And I want to live it to give praise and glory to Jesus Christ. Instead of looking for dirt pray that God would continue to bless that person in that place and that church and that coach and that teacher and that welder and that musician and that mom and that family and that, 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 that. A lot of people are digging their own graves by throwing dirt on others. And I know it plays out. Think about it. Think, think about how in families, 
moms, you're walking with your kids, and it's, you know, like one of those days. I mean, they're just out of control. You need to call the zookeeper. Just there, there it is. And so you come into this setting, your, your sons are crawling over the couches, and they've spilt cool red Kool-Aid on the yellow carpet, and, and it's like, it's just total chaos. And then there's, you know, them. they sit there like this. The family, the kids, they don't move. Yes, mama. Yes, daddy. Yes, mama. Yes, daddy. Yes, mama. What happens to you in that moment? Are you mad at them because they just happen to be on their best behavior in that moment? Is there a part of you has a jealous eye? And you want to say, well, they're just, and they're, they got, they got, they got that. I don't have that, blah, blah, blah. All it does is destroy. You see, we must quit comparing ourselves to each other and find our security in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be like someone else. Listen to me, church. That might be the best news you heard today. You don't have to be like me. By the way, you don't want to be me. I don't want to be you. Listen, I don't want to be a woman. I'm glad I'm a man. You don't want to be a man. You should be glad you're a woman. I don't understand that, but I'm glad to be a man. That's how God created me. I celebrate that. Saul just couldn't do that. He kept looking David's way with the jealous eye instead of looking the way that God wanted him to look. And look what happens. Verse 12. Now, take in mind, he's still king. He's still a head at all above everyone else. He's still an impressive man. And it says this in verse 12. Saul was afraid of shepherd boy because the Lord was with David but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. And they kept saying, oh, David, he's so fine. He's so fine. He blew my mind. Hey, David. Because he led them in their campaigns. Meanwhile, David just keeps being faithful. God continues to bless because the Lord's with him and he's just looking God's way and not another way. He remained a top 10 hit on the tunes of that day. Let me speak a second to the group or an individual that lives with constant criticism of some really insecure people or entities. I want you to know this. You will never be able to make that person feel better about themselves. Only God can do that. You do not have to let them slow you down. Give them to God and pray for them, but don't let them derail you from the tracks that God has you running on. And as you get chances, never join in throwing dirt back at them. Just continue to soar in Jesus' name. Make him brighter and shiner and pray that God would bless them. Saul tries to dupe David. He gets so afraid. He gets so insecure. This is the king, by the way. He realizes God has left him because of this this path that he's on. He gets so insecure, so he tries to kill him. He has a plan to kill him. And so his plan is this. It's pretty simple. I'm going to get him to marry one of my daughters. Well, that doesn't sound like a bad plan. I mean, that doesn't sound like death to me. I'm going to get him to marry one of my daughters. But 
during Old Testament time, in order to marry one of the daughters, you know what you had to do? You had to go literally do something by them so that you could marry them. And in this case, you had to go out, and he, had, he was supposed to go out and fight and kill so many Philistines, go to war, literally go to war, and, and win so that he could win his wife. You had to literally go and physically fight and kill the enemy so that you could get this wife. Saul knew that. And so he thought, you know what? I'll offer one of my daughters. Here, which one do you want? Jeez, you know, here she is. And so David says yes, and Saul thinks he wins because he knows, he thinks David's going to go out and die. But look what happens. Look at verse 24. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins. I'm glad that custom has changed. To take revenge on his enemies. Seriously, I'll leave it there. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. David says, you know, he has no hard feelings towards Saul. He's just serving him. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. And he brought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, in marriage. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Verse 30, the Philistine commanders continued to go out in battle as often as they did. David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. It's a sad story to me, Grace Community Church. When I read this, it's sad to me because I love surrounding myself with people who do it better than I do. I love the team that God has given me. I, I, I love them. And you know what? They're really good at what they do. And when I'm not here, nothing drops off. And you know what? I celebrate that. Because it's not about me. And it's not about them. It's about what we do for him. We got to get over this jealous spirit or it will destroy your marriage, your family, your business, your future. I give you permission from this day forward to be you. You don't have to be your daddy. Some of you live under the shadow and this black cloud of your father's accomplishments and you spend the rest of your lives trying to be like dad. Listen to me. You don't have to be like dad. You can be you and you can be you really well. And you know what? I'm going to celebrate with you that you are you and you aren't that you. It's time we learn to celebrate the successes of others and not be threatened by it. Because ultimately, don't we do it to give God glory? A jealous, envious, critical person
person will never live out their full potential in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand in closing. We're going to do something a little different today. I've put together a declaration of who we are in Christ. So stand in the link and if you're watching this through the internet, stand up on top of your desk chair. This is a declaration. I think once in a while we need to remind ourselves that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and we should know that full well. I don't think Christians know that full well who we are. So I'm going to read a line. A declaration is not a whisper. It's not a murmur. It's a declaration. This is who I am. So, Link, we're over here on that side. We're going to hear you. Maine, you're on this side going that way. To those that are gathered in the link. What would happen if we just declared this and believed this and lived this way and we became the you that you were meant to be. So let's declare this. You can repeat after I say the phrase. I'll say it first. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am loved, cherished, and incredibly valued by the God of the universe. By the way, didn't it feel good? I don't have to be anyone else but me. I have free access to all the rights of heaven as a child of God. by the blood of the Lamb, sealed by the Holy Spirit, gloriously rescued from hell and headed to heaven. Amen. My identity is in Jesus Christ alone, not in my accomplishments, achievements, or successes. unique talents, gifts, abilities, and skills that were perfectly designed for me. I refuse to lose any more ground trying to be someone else. I will not be haunted by the junk and failures of my past but will walk in the power of forgiveness and freedom that comes through the redemption of Jesus Christ. I refuse to be guided by jealousy, envy, greed, or the worship of others. From this day forward, 
I will be me. I was created to be nothing more, nothing less. celebrate the victories and successes of my brothers and sisters in Christ instead of throwing any more dirt. I declare in Jesus' name that Satan will no longer cause me to do otherwise. Yes, I will live to the redemptive potential that Jesus created me to live to. I will live. Yes, I will live to the redemptive potential that Jesus created me to live to. All right, here comes the last line, so save your best for last. We're leaving after this. It's, it's over. It's over. Just get out of here and go be you. So let's, let's give it your best. Here it comes. I'm going to do it first. In the strong, powerful, and unmatched name of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Get out of here. <laughs>